Welcome again to Our Street. Lynn Fisher here with my perpetual uh, co-host, Kurt Elder. Kurt, how are you today? Lynn, I'm well. It's a uh, beautiful day. The temperature has been fluctuating, but I am glad for what we got. And I'm looking forward to today's conversation. Well, great. Uh, today we have, uh, I believe, a new guest on the show and a subject. I don't know that we've covered this before, but uh, joining us today is Jerry Reef, and he is the assistant director of the Nebraska Innovation Studio. And uh, welcome to the show, Jerry. Well, thank you. And thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Sure. For our listeners, Jerry, would you give us uh, some background? Give us a little uh, personal history, if you wouldn't mind. Well, I uh, I have lived in Lincoln since 1991, and uh, I have spent my time learning how to build things, I guess, a lot of my time here. Uh, I've worked in a couple big industries in town. I worked out at Duncan Aviation for almost 15 years. I've owned my own construction company where I do remodels and uh, some new house builds here and there. Uh, and I've just kind of been a tinkerer and a builder all my life. You know, I'm always taking something apart and putting it back together better than it, than I got it and building things for, for, for myself and for others. Well, that's great. So, uh, the main thing that you, uh, operate there out in innovation campus, I understand is a maker space. Can you tell pe people what a maker space is? Is yeah. So the concept behind a maker space is, you know, every, almost everybody has a creative bone or more in their bodies and a lot of times the hurdles are equipment, um, space, and self-confidence to know that you can do what you think you can't do if you just apply yourself. So we had uh, decided, the university had decided about almost eight years ago to be able to take some open space on Innovation Campus. Since you know Innovation Campus by its name is innovative, uh, to create a space where people can come in and use equipment that is maybe too expensive for them to purchase on their own, takes up too much space, or maybe they couldn't justify spending the money on it because they might use it once or twice and never again. And, you know, as we all know, that's that's hard to convince our significant other on spending money on stuff like that. So <laughs> uh, we offered a space where people could do that. So if I could just go further into that. Further so the makerspace is a space that allows us to uh, come together but it also allows others to come and be together as well. Uh, I, I want to touch on that later, but when we but when we think of this space, it was a blank canvas when it first started. Can you share a little bit about one how the vision of how the space was going to come out and work? You know, so so how how did you go from a blank canvas to where you are today? And and within that process process, I'm sure you'll tell us some of the different pieces of equipment, the, the, uh, the classrooms, X, Y, C. So if you could start at the beginning, let's just uh, go from there. Sure, so the uh, idea of a makerspace is not new. Universities all over the country have had makerspaces uh, that are usually tied to a department. So engineering would have a makerspace, architecture would have a, make, a makerspace, um, art, art college would have a makerspace but never the two or three of them would combine. So if you weren't a student in the engineering college, you could not use the makerspace in the engineering college. Um, and uh, so th there's been a, a need and a want for this for years. You know, then you graduate college and all of a sudden you don't have access to this stuff anymore. So from that developed community makerspaces that were open to anybody in the public. Um, well, the issue that, that 
quickly became apparent because uh, with that situation is it's very expensive to run a makerspace. Liability is a big issue. So, you know, you got to cover that somehow and membership fees in, in community makerspaces were, were pretty high when you have to cover the insurance yourself. You know, you think about just bringing in people off the street and letting them run a table saw, you can see that there's, there's some real liability risks there. So the concept of creating a makerspace that is associated and open to the university for students, faculty and staff to use, but also allow the community to come in, use, in and use was, was a newer concept. And we are one of the first in the country to not only open one, but keep one running successfully for the last eight years. So you're, you're bringing in these, you know, these young uh, entrepreneurial, creative students, faculty and staff, and you're connecting them and combining them with community members who have been creative on their own for years and maybe just, you know, didn't know where to start. I know that will cover costs just in a quick second, but you said success. How would you define success for a community's makerspace? And perhaps that is tied to cost, perhaps it's tied to members or usage. What's that metric to you look like? Honestly, it's a little more personal than that for me. I mean, yes, we want to make sure we continue to have people come into the studio and use it and make things. But for us, it's, it's watching these people that walk in and they're really excited about the space and they think it's a great idea, but they're hesitant and scared to get started because it just seems so overwhelming to them. And they don't have, they lack the self-confidence to know that they could do this. So we, we take these people that, that wanna make something, have the interest, and we train them on how to use the equipment and we build up their confidence levels by helping them, mentoring them, showing them ways to do things. You know, if they're doing it right, we tell them you're doing great, you know, just to build that, that level of confidence. Jerry, can you explain to me, I mean, how this works. People come in, do they have an invention idea? Do they come in with, what brings them in? What motivates them to come in and what's their individual goal and purpose? Are they just wanting somebody to help them to build a prototype? What's going on? Yes, that is definitely part of it. We do have small businesses, startups, that maybe they need to 3D print a part as a prototype and spend, instead of going out and spending, you know, a couple thousand dollars in a metal shop, they can come here and, and do it at the studio. Uh, but we also have people who are just, maybe they took uh, ceramics in fourth grade and they haven't done it since then and they realized how much they enjoyed it and they want to come in and work on a throw, throwing wheel. Um, we also have people that come in and, you know, they want to engrave grandma's name on a wine glass for a Christmas present. We have these laser cutters that, that can do that. Um, so, you know, sometimes it's personal projects, sometimes it's projects for a startup, sometimes it's stuff that people want to sell at craft fairs or on Etsy. So it just kind of runs the gamut on what people do there. So, um, is, go ahead, Lynn. So, would you allow someone to come in and actually make products for sale? And and uh, uh, do you charge them anything for the for the privilege? Uh, just the membership fee, which is the same for everybody, whether you're in a business or on your own doing your own thing. Um, we do have to, you know, be careful on if if the business becomes successful. You know, if you're in the studio every day and you've got two employees showing up with you, uh, working on your product six days a week, then you've probably gotten too big for us and it's time to find your own space. But we encourage that and, you know, we let people help people grow as they develop that business. That might be a good segue into, so when we talk about membership, uh, I just take a look at your website and before we get too far, if people wanted to learn more, let's say that we're, since we're getting close to our break, 
people don't want to learn more, how would they, one, find more about you, and two, could you discuss how your member, membership structure works? Sure. Um, our website is innovationstudio.unl.edu. So that website is, is open to the public. It has links on it to show all the equipment we have, our pricing structure, um, has some great stories from people who have been successful in the studio kind of gives you a whole introduction to the space. There's also a virtual tour you can take so you can walk through the studio virtually and kind of see what the layout is, what kind of equipment we have, all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> and uh, pricing structure, we have a, a graded scale for pricing. So, you know, the, the, the students, whether they're UNL students or non-UNL students um, are, are maybe don't have as much money as others. So we, we have a rate for them at, at $25 for 30 days. And then we kind of grow, go up from there. Um, alumni, 60 for 30 days. And then community members, which means anybody out there in the community who's not part of UNL, um, is $80 for 60 days of membership. So is, is the 3D printer the most popular piece of equipment? Uh, I, it, it varies. I mean, we have five laser cutters that you can cut and engrave on plywood, acrylic, leather, foam, fabric, paper, and cardboard, engrave on glass and metal. Those are those are very popular. Um, you know, but then during the school year, when you've got a whole group of engineering students in there making something, then the, the 3D printers become very popular. But I would say overall, probably the most popular area of the studio is the wood shop. Um, we have CNC equipment in the wood shop. We have table saws, band saws, drill press, miter saws. Uh, band saws, jointer, I mean, just about everything you could want in a metal shop or a wood shop, I mean. Yeah. So, we, so, so, uh, so, go ahead, Lauren. No, no, I was, uh, uh, was going to say, we, we, my family and I, we were uh, recently on vacation. We went out to Colorado and we took a tour of a um, jigsaw puzzle factory, which was really interesting where they laser cut the jigsaw form on uh, through the back of a piece of board uh with the with the picture on the front that's glued on the front and it was just it was just neat to see how that worked do you have anything like that yeah absolutely we have we have five five machines that can do that okay very very cool i mean the in, the intricacy of 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 the detail that you can cut lasers uh, you know through wood it's just amazing just amazing yeah, so just really to is. take that as, as an example going forward, Lynn, imagine that you had you know, a picture of something in your mind of a, say whatever size it might be, let's say it was 48 inches by 36 inches. I don't know. What's the learning curve? You know, someone comes in fresh green with an idea saying like, that's really neat to having a final product that they can either enjoy themselves or give away or sell. What's that process and that learning curve to get from point A to point B look like. I mean, I'm sure it's gonna vary based on the kind of project, but you have people on staff to help you with that, right? Yeah, and so it's really it's really easy to get in and start doing things and it doesn't take much time. Everybody has to go through a one hour orientation, which is just an orientation of the studio, the rules, how things operate, how you use it. We take a tour so you can see all the equipment that we have. And then from there, once they have paid for their membership, we have built up a website that is really user-friendly where the members can log in remotely or from home or wherever, and then they sign up for trainings on the equipment that they wanna take. These are on a calendar, they happen every week. 
Most of the trainings are one hour long and we will train up between four and six people in that one hour. So using the laser cutters as an example, in a, you sign up for the laser cutter training. In one hour, we teach you the basics of using Adobe Illustrator where you create your file, at least for using that equipment. And then we show you how to use the actual laser too. And everybody, it's very hands-on. Everybody's pushing buttons and asking questions through the training. So we're very comfortable and, and confident that in one hour we can teach you how the basics of the software and the operation of the piece of equipment, no matter what it is, and then you are ready to go. And then of course, that's where we as staff kind of hang out, um, make sure you're doing what you want to do, the way you want to do it, you're comfortable with the process, and then we just assist when we need to. So our members are coming to us all the time saying, hey, can you help me with this? Hey, can you help me with this? And that's what we do. What's the most unusual piece of equipment that someone wouldn't think about that you have? Um, I would say right now, probably our fiber laser in the metal shop. Um, we have a fiber laser that can cut up to quarter inch thick steel. It can also has a rotary tool in it so you can turn square round and rectangle tube and cut that. And you know, that's something that you usually see in high end metal shops. Well, we found one that was designed and built specifically for educational environments and makerspace environments. So it plugs into a 110 outlet and in one hour we can train people how to use that. Cool. Do you have a, uh, any sewing machines? We do. We have four baby lock sewing machines. We have a 14 foot long arm quilter. We have a serger and we have a six needle embroidery machine. Wow. And so, 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 so perhaps before our last question, before we get to our break, right, Lynn, cause I know we're getting close there is, did you pick all this out yourself? Did you have this big mastermind uh, just concept in your head or just you and your team or did it evolve over time as people brought ideas to you? Yeah, so the basic equipment in a makerspace is pretty well known if you've been involved in makerspaces before. I myself had never been involved in a makerspace when I got hired on um, at, at the university. Um, but the studio itself at the time was pretty much 16,000 square feet of open space. Uh, we are privately funded, so all of the equipment that we have in the studio has happened because of uh, kind donations from businesses, individuals, corporations, and then some grants. So unlike a lot of other makerspaces, we didn't have a bunch of money when we started just to build a space. We had to slowly do it over, you know, these seven years plus. And really the advantage to that was we listened to what our members said. You know, we thought we had a great idea on what equipment we should have. But after talking with people, we realized sometimes we weren't correct. You know, maybe people didn't really want to use that piece of equipment as much as we thought they would. They wanted something else. So we listened to what people said and what their needs and desires were, and we bought equipment based on that. We'd go out and raise money once we knew what we wanted. To our listeners, uh, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back here in just a minute or two, so don't go anywhere, and we'll continue this great conversation. Welcome back to Our Street, Lynn Fisher and Kurt Elder. And today on our show, we're talking with Jerry Reef, and he's the assistant director of uh, the Nebraska Innovation Studio, which is a makerspace out at Innovation Campus. And so, uh, uh, Kurt, kick us off here for the second half of the show. Yeah, sure. So within the first half, we have learned more about how, uh, really just as we were ending the first half, you were, you were saying how you listen to your members. And, and as you listen to members, that, that invokes this idea of it's, it is more than just one person using the space and that it's a, that it's more of a community, that it's a group of people who enjoy this space together. Can Absolutely. You describe that sense of community and then 
you know, it's just not a bunch of young guys, gals hanging out together. I'm sure there's a there's a mix of experience and interest. And can you describe how they come together, both in the space and perhaps uh, more so outside of the space? If you have any stories about that, sure. Um, yeah, you know, early on when I first started, I didn't really know what to expect and how how things were going to play out, what was going to happen every day, and I quickly saw uh, this natural coming together of people of all different ages, this collaboration that happens. Um, we had a gentleman who was a, who was a veteran who was there uh, from Vietnam. So, you know, he's, he's getting up there in years a little bit and he was struggling with, with doing, he really wanted to get involved in some CNC equipment, but he's really struggling with the technology of the computers and the software and all that kind of stuff. And uh, he'd been a woodworker all of his life, but he wanted to do something a little different, unique. And we had a young person who was an engineering student who really wanted to get into woodworking, but they had no experience, but was really good in the technology side of things. So they kind of naturally found each other. And the young person helped out the older person with the software. And then after that happened, the older person helped out the young person with the traditional woodworking equipment. And they ended up working together on these two projects that were similar, but different enough that they needed each other's help. And it was just kind of a great natural uh, collaboration that happened. And we see that all the time. You know, I, th I think that's, you know, I'm sure there's just more than just, you know, one you know, heartwarming story like that, because, you know, collaboration builds those kind of stories much more naturally, I think. Yes. I I had the opportunity to go out and do a tour of the space with you. And while we, we were doing that, you had shown me um, just some of the equipment and you had shown me, uh, you know, some of the uh, welders and some of the uh, ways that people can learn welding, but you know, I had also talked brightly about this new grant program that you have coming out. So let's just kind of touch on those two. Um, you had a virtual reality welder that helps people from no skill to being pretty proficient make that skill gap. And welders, you know, that's a nice in entry wage job and it's a high need job. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? And then we'll then jump into this new grant program that you're working on. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, teaching people how to weld, as you mentioned, is not a, is not a quick and easy task. People go to community colleges for a couple of years to learn how to be good welders. Well, we're not trying to replace that education, but we're trying to fill the gap maybe before that, where people are interested in wanting to weld, but just don't know how to learn and where to learn. So we bought a virtual welder, which teaches people the basics of welding using a virtual reality environment. So they wear a helmet with, with virtual reality goggles and it, it, it points out all the things you need to focus on to become a good welder, uh, teaching the distances and the angles and all that kind of stuff. And then from there, you can go to the real welder, having that knowledge of how to do it, what to look for, and then you get in there and do the real thing. And we've seen people with zero welding experience within an hour, hour and a half, be able to go over to the real welders and lay a bead down that you know, it may not be the prettiest, but it will work. And it just builds that confidence level to jump in and do something you've never done before. Um, and then, uh, then it, go ahead, Jerry. Oh, uh, you, you go ahead. Well, I, I, I'm interested in the, in the next part of this and, uh, uh, you have some kind of a new program for robotics. Is that right? Yes. So there's a collaborative grant that we were awarded by the, the EDA, um, build back better the Economic Development Association. And uh, it is in partnership, 
Invest Nebraska is the one who led the charge to get this grant um, headed by Dan Hoffman. And uh, it is a collaboration on a grant with us, uh, the College of Engineering, Northeast Community College, Metro Community College, and Workforce Development, and a few other entities in the state. Um, the idea is to develop our young and middle and older folks, aged folks, to be able to uh, be better at the jobs they do, maybe advance a little faster, teach them about robotics in the workforce, um, and uh, also educate our youth to show them, you know, most kids, it seems like they're born with a cell phone in their hand and they know how to use it right away. Well, how do you take that skill that is innate to those young folks and develop it into usable job skills? Um, you know, there's always that scenario of, you know, uh, the, the dirty high turnover job that's low paying. How do you, how do you incentivize people to stay at those jobs? Well, maybe it's to teach them how to operate a robot that does that job that nobody wants to do. Now you've created job security and uh, you're better in the workforce. So we are working in this grant, whole grant world to be able to introduce robotics, embedded systems, automation uh, to our workforce and to our young people. So how's that work? Are you going to have uh, like a, a welding robot on site or is this going to be smaller stuff? We're going to start out with some smaller stuff at our facility. Um, we're going to we're, we're moving more into the cobot rather than the robot world. So cobots are pick and place. You know, you might see them in a factory and they're filling a box with the product. Um, cobots, you can stand next to it. If it runs into you, it stops instantly where so it doesn't hurt you. And uh, the, the big part about this is teaching people how to program these cobots. You know, that's the part that we that we will fall into. Now, other areas of this grant, other members of this grant um, are going to get into the bigger scale robots working with industry um, on, a, on a bigger scale than we would, but we'd be more on teaching the people how to use them, um, how to program them, that kind of stuff. There is the Lincoln Manufacturing Council, and it's a group that you know, is working to fill some of those voids uh, within their own workforce needs and uh, been looking towards the future and trying to build the uh, job skills for those future endeavors. Are you beginning to work with them or Where's, where are you at in that paradigm of that relationship? Yes, so conversations have started. Um, you know, this grant is pretty new. We're in the process of specking out and buying equipment. We've hired staff at the studio. And then alongside that is reaching out in the community to who do we need to talk to? How do we start this collaboration and this partnership? And Lincoln Manufacturing Council is definitely one of the groups of professionals here in our city that we are working with, um, establishing a relationship with to find out what it is they wanna see and they need in the community at their businesses and other businesses so we can cater to that. You had said that this is for young people, but really anyone can come in and learn these skills. Um, let's say that you you are just a, a blue collar guy or you're in one kind of field and you wanna learn something new and you have the time, um, you can get involved in this grant, but that kind of leads one, I assume that's correct, one, and then two, if it is, you know, people have jobs, they have things. Do you have varying times where people can come in and get engaged in this or or, or, or is it all during, during the workday? Um, our hours traditionally at the studio are more geared towards the evening. So we're open on Mondays from two to nine, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday from noon to seven, and then Friday, Saturday from 10 to four. <clears throat> with the idea being we're trying to catch those people when they get off work. 
Um, but with the new staff that we have on board now, they are able to work with the traditional working hours of businesses. So eight or nine in the morning, we'll have people there. Well, Jerry, tell us again and tell our listeners uh, how they can get involved, how they can find out more. So you have a website, do you have a, when do you have your orientation and kind of give us an idea of how people can get down there? Sure. The website again is innovationstudio.unl.edu. Um, when you go to that website, right in the middle of the screen, when you first log in or join this, the website, there's a button that says become a member. If you click on that button, it shows you a list of links to all the orientations throughout the month. We do one orientation a week. Uh, they're an hour long and we alternate days and times to try to cover people's different schedules. Um, and that website is a link to everything that we have. And so there's no walk-in service? No, there's not. With, uh, with the size of the space and what we offer and the size of our staff, we have to be very organized, not only for us, but for our members to make sure that they feel like they're getting the most of their money. And then if some, if a group, a small group, for example, wanted to take a tour, is that something that uh, would be just set up on an appointment basis? Yes. If somebody was interested in taking a look at the space, they can email us. Uh, the email address is innovationstudio at unl.edu. And then we will reach back out to them and, and set something up. Well, very good. Uh, Jerry, thanks so much for coming on the show. Appreciate it. Maybe we can have you uh, back again sometime to talk about some new and different things. Yeah, I'd love to come back when we've got some progress on this grant. We can show some of the things that we've gotten done. It'd be great to come back and talk about that. All right. Well, thanks to our listeners for spending another 30 minutes with us here on Our Street. For Kurt Elder, Lynn Fisher saying thanks, and we'll see you next time.